Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the Guns, Gear, and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Derek Campbell, and tonight we actually have a full house somehow. I'm joined with Adam and Zane from Spiritus Systems, Chris from Because Operator, and a couple of the masterminds behind Lone Star Armory. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good, guys. How are you doing? Glad to be here. You'll regret that. (laughs) So, uh, for those who don't know at home, tell us a little bit about uh, what Lone Star Armory is and what you guys do? Well, um, I guess we'll start from, from the bottom of the totem pole and work up to the, the, the King Poobah. But um, <laughs> my name's Ben. Uh, I've been, I was uh, a customer before I was working for the guy, uh, for, for Andrew. Um, uh, Andrew was came out, I, I helped start the UNT shooting team at the University of North Texas some years back, and he came out to one of our matches and Met him, got hooked up, started using his stuff, really liked it. Uh, fast forward a few years, started helping out with social media, just kind of worked my way into uh, some marketing, sales, and kind of networking stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, now we're here, man. Uh, and then we got Taylor. Hey. Um, Taylor is our, our gun guru. He's a formerly trained gunsmith. Uh, he handles production. Um, just kind of just kind of a wizard um he's all about uh so i i pimp stuff i'm i'm the lsa pimp and andrew's kind of the the guy at the top but taylor's the dude that kind of keeps everything coming together i just like building i hope lsa pimp is on your actual resume well it's it's on the it's on the unofficial one you know we got to be selective about who we get that to but it's on his uh special business cards some risque photos that go along with those. Oh my god! <laughs> with your portfolio. I don't want to think about that. Um, what? And then uh, we got Andrew. So give the whole sh- give give them the spiel, man. Yeah. Good evening, guys. Uh, thank you for for inviting us on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, no problem. Yeah, Ben, uh, Ben and Taylor, man, uh, those guys were were friends long before they ever you know helped me out with the business, and uh, uh, it's been. We couldn't do it without them, um, man. They both are, are experts in what they do, and uh, really, uh, you know, kind of help make my job a little bit easier. Uh, Lone Star Armory. We started back in uh, 2006, uh, so it's been uh, you know 11 years now. We've been doing this. Uh, I started uh, building guns when I was still in the army, and um, just uh, started it kind of as a side business. And uh, when I got out in 09, uh, we just took it full time, and that's it's been growing from there. This uh, this year, uh, we partnered up. Uh, we've got a we got two partners, and uh, those guys, man, I'll tell you what, they're, they're just class act guys. Uh, we've got uh, both of them. Uh, one of his specialty is manufacturing and uh, machining, and the other one is uh, he's uh, our CEO now. Uh, he he really makes makes the job uh, a lot easier for me. He makes the business run smoothly. Uh, we've got a lot of assets and resources for manufacture everything in house. So we're slowly but surely bringing uh, parts in now um, as we kick this year off and, and start our expansion. What kind of expansion do you guys have planned for the near future? Well, uh, in January, uh, we moved into about a 
4,000 square foot shop, uh, which is about 3,999 feet bigger than my last one. And, uh, yeah, it's, there's probably CNC machines next to work. Uh, one of the other companies uh, is Infinity uh, Plating and Cerakoting. Um, so we, you know, we have a, a full production Cerakote facility next door, uh, as well as which is pretty cool. Um, we're, we're in the process of TNE, and uh, some proprietary plating right uh, that are uh, pretty easy. I can't wait to finish the TNE. and if things go as expected, man, that's, that is a whole other podcast, what we've got cooking there or what Infinity Coatings has. Um, the, uh, the retail storefront, uh, we've got uh, probably 1,500 square feet there. Uh, so for the first time, we're going to be able to actually stock Lone Star Armory guns and it not just be a custom order basis deal. Uh, and, and in addition, all the things that are going to support it, uh, from optics, lights, lasers, uh, you know, body armor, you know, obviously the spiritus systems, uh, rigs are, are, are key to that, uh, ammo, uh, night vision, uh, we're building a training facility uh, about 45 minutes outside of DFW, uh, where we'll have a 2,000-yard range, 1,000-yard KD range, uh, some big things. And uh, awesome. got a lot of stuff going on this year, guys. Yeah, that, so I, I have some questions. I have a question. If, if nobody else has questions yet, I have questions. Shoot, man. I like questions. So, so I guess, I mean, most of us on here, I'm not sure. I mean, I think pretty much everyone here has probably pieced together some kind of Franken, Franken weapon. Um, I know I, I'm guilty as charged. I've built, I've built my own. All of the firearms that I own, rifle-wise, are, are hand-built by me, uh, which is probably not, now that I'm learning more about rifles, um, probably not the best, best choice. But So I guess the first question are, uh, what are, in your guys' opinion, what are some of the like misconceptions that are generally out there about building your own rifle versus, you know, purchasing a custom rifle from somewhere like Lone Star Armory? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is um, just just product knowledge of what's out there, um, what's quality, you know, what works and why. Um, I grew up I grew up in the drag racing world, and so, I mean, from a young age, you know, it was just kind of, I was bred to mechanically inclined. And so I think that, you know, in, in the end, it ended to, to kind of my, my working knowledge of guns and, and, uh, you know, kind of help guide me through that, uh, into working on them. But I mean, starting, you know, Ben and I were talking about this on the way back from the conference tonight, man, in 2006, when we got going, um, I need to do some research and get like an industry snapshot. That'd be kind of cool because the guys who were really doing it were like JP. I mean, that's the godfather of the modern AR and, uh, LaRue was making mounts and that was it. Maybe some handguards back then. You know, there weren't, there weren't as many companies, uh, you know, the assault weapons ban had just ended. And so, uh, there, the industry just man, it was starving and it was really pretty, pretty fresh and new. So, um, having, having seen a lot of things come out and having tried, I mean, obviously not all of it, but as much as we can, we've always tried to, to stick with the highest quality parts. And sometimes that meant it, it wasn't the least expensive, but you know, we didn't have issues. Uh, you know, you can, you can get away with a lot of stuff on, on an AR-15 platform, but if you if you don't run the gun very much, you know, if you don't if you don't test it, uh, if you don't see how it performs over high round count or 
when the gun gets hot or when it gets dry. So you're just having the ability, uh, I think, to, to kind of almost grow up with the stuff, you know. Uh, and, and coming from an end user standpoint, you know, my, my military experience being my, my background in it, you know, I was always looking at what will make, you know, make the job better, what will make the gun run better for work. So that's, that's my main motive, you know, what, what makes it better for, you know, for the warfighter. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we, you know, I had to go home and, and have some, some badass guns and I had to go back to work the next day and, you know, go run an old Colt, but it is what it is. And, uh, I mean, you can piece together some stuff and, you know, with the quality of some of the products out there, you know, it's, it's all the same parts. Um, if you do enough of it, you start getting, you know, certain techniques, you start seeing littler things that you need to pay attention to. Um, you know, what feels right, what looks right. And, uh, you know, the more experienced you get at it and like anything, it just comes with time and, and, uh, just doing it on a consistent basis. Yeah. And just to add on to that, uh, you know, and what Andrew touched on, what feels right and what, lo what looks right. I guess the thing is, is from a, 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 a manufacturing side standpoint, I've had to research some of this stuff a lot lately. Um, cause we're beginning to develop our own, our own stuff that we're going to be putting out in house. And, uh, you have, you know, tolerance stack from a machining standpoint. Um, and everybody's got their own take on whatever part it is, be the lower receiver, an upper receiver, a barrel extension, a receiver extension. Um, everybody makes these different items and they all have a slightly different recipe from the machining side. So, you know, you might get a product that in and of itself is, you know, of perfectly good quality, you know, name brands that you know, anybody would be proud to run uh, as part of their duty setup or whatever it is. But if you put it together in, you know, the improper tolerance stacks, you get a receiver extension that's too big and an actual receiver that's too tight. You're going to have issues either, you know, potentially from a fitting standpoint, from a, from a, uh, a function standpoint, you can get any type of issues just because just, you know, yeah, this, what, this, what this, manufacturers products interface well with other manufacturers products and some of the big issues that then, um, in 2008 when, uh, the, the political climate changed, and, and there was a big rush on guns and parts started drying up. And I swear, man, there was, there was manufacturers, like, I don't know where they were getting parts. It's like they went to Chevy and got some valve springs and threw them in lower parts kits because it was just, it was just crap. But people were so happy just to get parts that, you know, it's like they didn't pay attention to it. And, some of the manufacturers were just out to make a quick buck and they didn't care what they put in there, you know, as long as they sold it. Um, and so, you well, know, that's one thing. Yeah. I, I was going to say, that's one thing. Cause I, I come from a, a machining background before I got into textile. So I know a lot of what you're, what you're talking about and how uh, on building motors and whatever the part is that you're doing that, that precision, uh, it absolutely matters. And this is more critical than building a, you know, drag bike or whatever you were doing, but you know, the parts I was building back now onto a weapon that someone's going to have to use straightforward. But I, uh, you know, I, I can kind of see how that really, really matters when you get in there and you're able to really get control of that. But if you, what was, what's the one thing that, uh, if you had, if you had to sum it up, what's the, why should, what's the one reason that someone should buy LSA? And, um, I would say, It's hard to sum it up in one word, uh, but uh, you on the spot there. Yeah, man, you throw me on the spot with one word. Uh, you know, summarize your company now. 
good to see quality, you know, quality obviously. Um, but just the fact that we stand behind it, it was, you know, the only, you know, I always say that it's great to have a lifetime warranty, but the best warranty is one you don't have to use. Um, but bottom line, man, we're, we're here, you know, to provide support for the end user uh, in, in whatever aspect that's going to be. There you go. What do you see in the uh, future of the custom AR-15 industry now that uh, the the gun rush has settled down and people aren't as worried about losing rights as they were a few years ago? Yeah, I've uh, I've seen a couple of things. One, um, everybody that went out and you know bought a strip lower and threw it in the safe just in case. You know that uh, people are aren't as worried about you know hey let's stock up on. Five five six. Uh, let's get an AR platform and let's get some nine mil. So so people are kind of diversifying what they're purchasing. So you're seeing people get into uh, finally finishing out some of those old you know those lowers they bought or those uppers that they bought. Um, and then they're also upgrading the guns that they purchased uh, that they were just happy to to have got their hands on. Um, so they're upgrading those and uh, you know improving either the you know, ergonomics of them with uh, better free float tubes or triggers and grips, et cetera. Uh, the reliability, you know, we're tuning them, you know, buffer springs and uh, gassing them properly. And uh, so that's kind of, uh, that's, that's one, one of the big things we've seen since, since the rush has kind of died down. So, so I guess the question I have too is, I mean, this is getting more some technical stuff, but you know, uh, 11, you know, 11 Bravo, uh, you know, you're, we're using what they give us. So they hand us the, the Colt and that's, we just run with it and, uh, it works, it works how it works, you know, mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit more about, I'm, I'm interested to know about, you know, gassing, uh, spring weights. Like, I mean, you don't have to go too, too deep into it, but I'm just curious, like, what is it that makes, um, you know, cause Ben talks about his LSA gun and he's, you know, he says, Hey, like it's 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 just different. It's once you get a tuned gun uh, out on the range, you'll just you'll just never go back to the the hacksaw garage build that that you're shooting before. Um, so kind of, I mean, can you just like kind of talk us through, you know, the process? I guess of like how do you when you, when you're working on a gun, how do you arrive at that? You know, at that point, what are some of those things that you do to make it uh, such an enjoyable and reliable piece of piece of machinery? Well, so the we, we kind of look at a few aspects on the overall all, overall rifle package or firearm package. Um, you know, one, you know, reliability being the utmost. Um, two, the accuracy. You know, everybody has a, a specific accuracy requirement. Um, you know, obviously, like your your guy that wants to go varmint hunt or your you know your your designated marksman, uh, sniper, etc. Um, you know, they have a, they have a specific accuracy requirement. And that's going to drive, you know, what kind of barrel goes to that gun, what kind of ammunition, you know, that drives the price point, obviously. But the the reliability, the accuracy, uh, the the ergonomics, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. You know, if you, you pick up a shotgun, you know, the first thing somebody says to you is, oh, if that doesn't fit you right, you won't hit anything with it. But, but nobody ever says that when you pick up a rifle or a pistol, you know, or rarely do that. Uh, so I feel that how you interface with the gun is is, is very very important and, and should be paid uh, you know consideration to um, you know and now you're getting into a lot of longer free float tubes uh, you know so that you can you can grip the gun and and uh, run it a little bit better under recoil so the the reliability the accuracy uh, the ergonomics and the versatility you know of that platform go a long ways 
Um, nothing we build, I don't, I don't ever consider like recreational grade in anything we do. Um, it's, it's built for work, it's built for hard use, it's built to be, you know, meet those demands of, of, of people who, you know, we consider life support system. You, know, you, you never know when that firearm could be, be a life support system for you. So um, when we, we run a little bit heavier buffers and springs when you, you know, obviously we get to test fire everything before it leaves. Um, you know, a lot of, if you build a gun, uh, you can get away with a lot on semi-auto, but uh, we'll, we run, you know, our full auto stuff. We'll throw an upper on there and tune it on full auto because when you start speeding things up, you know, timing can get off. So if you tune the gun a lot of times, uh, different springs and buffers to run full auto, man, it's going to run semi-auto, uh, you know, fantastic, you know, for, for a long time. Um, so we, we've been running uh, tax springs, uh, buffer springs for uh, several years now. Um, they offer a variety of weights uh, between that and, uh, you know, some different buffers, your H's, H2's, H3's. Uh, we also use the Viltor A5 system on request. Uh, and I don't, you know, I guess haven't done it for so long, I don't really look at it like it's, it's special or anything. I mean, it's, it's not. It's parts anybody can get. Uh, and, and I highly recommend, you know, those companies for those parts. But uh, we've got a we've got a test fire. You know, we have the ability, we've got a bullet trap back here. So we have the ability to, ability to test fire. If something doesn't feel right or something, you know, uh, we can put it right back on the bench, troubleshoot it, and uh, go back to work with it. So I really, I really, really, uh, I can't harp on enough. When we get a, you know, as a Brand X gun in for the reliability aspect of it, you know, as long as the chamber's cut right, it's got at least enough gas port in it, um, and it's got a decent bolt in it that head spaces. Your reliability, man, that's just... That's just having the right buffers and springs and a good extractor spring in it. I mean, there's just not much to it. The, the funny thing about that is it's such a simple thing to do, but nobody does it, which that's, and that's kind of why it's such a huge talking point for me is because it's so, I can think of two companies that I'm immediately familiar with that do it out of everybody out there. And almost everybody else, they'll ship it with a carbon spring and an H buffer, maybe, maybe an H buffer. Um, and the consequences of that, so there's a local, uh, a local SWAT team uh, at a pretty big agency in DFW. Not too long ago, they bought a bunch, yeah. a bunch of there's a company. There's a company that has, they actually have two versions of their SBR. Um, one of them is a, quote, civilian version, and the other one is a, a bill spec version. Well, the civilian version, come to find out, has a gas port that's just huge. And they did that because... You know, uh, in their survey or whatnot, a lot of the, the end users were running Wolf and Tula and uh, lower pressure ammo through it. So they wanted the gun to cycle for those people so they weren't sending them back, you know, complaining that their guns wouldn't run. Well, this was fine until a bunch of cops bought him, and then they have to run them with a suppressor at work, and they're running them with duty ammo, which is which is pretty hot stuff, and, and now the guns won't run because they're, they're overgassed, severely overgassed. So as a consequence, the, the police department, unfortunately, just said, hey, get rid of the suppressors instead of, hey, fix the guns, you know, because the guns would run fine without, without a can on. Um, even, even with the duty ammo, they could get away with it a little bit. Uh, and that's just, it's just unacceptable. Um, I, I don't, I couldn't imagine being such a big company that, that I wouldn't take ownership of that and, and fix it. And the company didn't fix it for them. So... You know, again, with that with that in mind, I'm I'm never going to build something with the intent to go run 
low pressure ammo through because that is not that's just not professional grade. Sure. That is awesome. What are your opinions on the adjustable gas blocks? I've heard mixed reviews from various people on them. They're uh, I've messed with um, personally the. Oh, let's see, man, going way back like to the JP, um, the PRIs, uh, the original adjustable gas blocks were, were just meant for competition use. And so uh, the biggest issue with them was uh, there wasn't a, a mechanical retention to keep the adjustment screw from, from moving you know, in or out. Uh, so you relied on um, just checking it in between stages or maybe some Loctite. And so that was a, I mean, just, it was fine for a game gun, but, but nothing you would want to run, you know, run at work. Um, the, uh, the CIRAC, the original CIRAC gas block with, uh, with a mechanical detent in it was pretty cool. Um, you had to push in a detent though to adjust it, which was kind of a pain and then it got carboned up real bad. So if you didn't keep it oiled and really clean and, and moving freely, it would just get you know, seized up and stuck. Uh, they improved on that. They got rid of the, uh, the external, you know, push button detent. Just to keep it real clean. Um, I had, and this is kind of an anomaly, but I had a, a couple of uh, really short guns that were just overgassed, and I actually uh, cracked a couple of gas blocks on it. And I mean, in a, in a you know, granted, a seven and a half inch five five six with a pistol and a gas system is uh, it doesn't take much to overgas it. It was kind of a living barrel, you know, what the gas blocks fault. Um, but as a result of my experience and some others. Uh, superlative arms uh, came out with uh, a gas block that, that actually vents uh, gas out the front instead of trying to just seal it off which which subsequently overpressures the gas block and uh, that's what we've been using for the last uh, several months now and uh, I, I like that one a lot uh, it, it it's the lowest profile so it fits under uh, you know variety of the newer rails that are you know, have real small inside diameters uh, we haven't uh, we haven't broke any of them uh, they've been, been working real well for us, but I don't, I don't run them on everything. Uh, uh, we do on all of our large frame guns, you know, like 308s and Creedmoors. Um, I'll put them on 6.8s. Uh, you won't see them on blackouts. I get that a lot from clients and they, they call asking about it. I got a blackout. Do I need an adjustable gas block? No, heck no. Um, or, uh, yeah, that's kind of my take on those, man. I really like the concept of, um, the uh, uh, the governor uh, and some of those. Um, I think the I'd like to think the future is going to be in turning the gas down at the bolt carrier, though. Um, I'd like to experiment a little bit more with that. That sounds interesting. How would that work? You well, know, there's there's several companies that have uh, bolt carriers out. Jim uh, Tech, uh, Sun Devil. Um, uh, there's a couple of other companies, uh, and I don't know if they're just rebranding it for its own product. Uh, but I think with the lower, you know, the pressure being lower there anyways, um, you know, we've got some kind of ideas uh, that we could, you know, manufacture something. Uh, we just haven't gotten real involved in it yet. So they're just, they're just ideas right now. Uh, hopefully after, you know, the expansion kind of settles down after the grand opening this summer, we'll, we'll be able to start, you know, kind of putting some of that stuff on paper. What is everybody in this in here running? I mean, what is I well first off, let's just start let's start simple. Barrel length. 
Ten and a half. What's everybody got? I mean, I know Canada, Canada up there, freaking. He told us all about his uh, his uh-huh. ability to disown whatever barrel length he wants. Laws. Here we go. Twelve point five. <laughs> What's the mission? What are you doing with it? Look cool on the internet. Yeah, that's that's the total mission. Uh, four inches. <laughs> look sexy on the IGs. Four inches. So, so twelve. So twelve point five. You said. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, down um, NFA laws aside, um, I think if you just said, "Hey, what's your ideal carbine?" You know, barrel length. I would say twelve and a half with a can on it, or plus a can. Uh, I just think that. You can still run a rail for for most you know average sized people. You can run a you know an eleven uh, you know three quarter inch handguard, so you don't really compromise your optimal you know firing grip on the gun. Uh, you still get you know, enough velocity out of it for most uh, you know for proper bullet expansion out to most you know most ranges you're likely to be uh, you know shooting stuff at. Um, it's still compact and, and handy in a vehicle. So for me for me twelve point five ish is is probably the ideal carbine. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's what I've always heard um, from everybody. And, you know, I, I had a 12.5 Noveski before I got a 12.5 BCM. I was looking at a Mark 18. But every... before you got a 12.5 LSA. There you go. Oh, <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys distribute uh, in Canada? Like, do you have a distributor set up here? No, uh, for... um, the, the export thing has been actually kind of the, the talk with, with me and my partners here the last, last couple of weeks. And so um, I don't. You're, you're the first person I've talked to that might actually know know something about that. Uh, I just throw it in a UPS box; they won't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I got I got a FedEx box, whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. Listen, there will there will be no there will be none of that talk on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so okay. So here's some some you know some food for, for thought. My last uh, contracting job. That I had, uh, I had just bought my Noveski 12.5 inch Crusader, um, and my boss, who is, uh, who was not anymore, who is the um, weapons guy out of the unit, said to me, he said, you know, 12.5, a, eh? and I went, yeah. and I went, yeah, what's up, man? So cool. And he was like, it's fucking dumb. And I was like, damn. Because when somebody of that caliber tells you your stuff's dumb, it's, it's probably dumb. So he was, you know, and, and his reasoning was, uh, you know, the, the short guns that everybody's going to uh, ballistically are not sound at the ranges that, you know, requires you to be able to shoot out to. And, you know, that it's an interesting, I think there's been kind of a paradigm shift since that, since, you know, he told me those things, but... Um, well, I think, you know, you know I, the other caveat yeah. to that is what ammo are you getting to use? You know? Exactly. Yeah, uh, exactly. What I could use, you know, as a civilian is, is vastly, you know, different performance wise than a MA55. So, uh, you know, that that's kind of the other factor for me. Sure. And I think that, and I think that like, you know, probably plays into it. Uh, you know, I mean, ammunition absolutely plays into it heavily. But, uh, you know, his, his stance on it was 16, 16 inch gun is what, uh, is what he is, you know, that's what a lot of them were using at the time. And, and his whole reasoning was, you know, you can go into a building, you can clear rooms with a 16 inch gun and if, you know, but in people in an urban environment and vehicles and stuff like that would say, 
well, I'm in a vehicle, I'm in an urban environment and I need to have this, this really short barrel. Um, you know, and his, his thing was you're going to step outside and it's going to, you know, the next engagement is going to be at 300 meters, 300 plus meters. Are you going to be able to, are you going to be able to reach that? And so that was kind of his whole reasoning behind it. It really made me kind of think, you know, rethink my, my rifle choices. Um, obviously not very hard because I still, I'm still have a 12.5 inch gun, but. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> his words didn't have that much of an impact. <laughs> I guess I have both. I have a 16 inch gun as well, but I'm a, I'm a dork, man. I don't have any cans like Ben, like shit. He just sends me pictures of his cans at night. I'm like, those are my cans, man. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out. Um, I don't know. We, we, we had a lot of discussions like that actually today. Um, we, we got out we literally got out of TTPOA. We were at the conference all day and we sat down to talk to you guys. Um, and one of the things that, you know, all these cops are handling these SBRs um, and they're going, hey, is this like is this going to perform the way I need it to? Um, and like Andrew said, ammo being a factor. But I mean, and again, what, what are you doing with it? For most cops, so the longest recorded uh, sniper shot, I believe, is something over just over 150 yards. And it would be like half that if the FBI hadn't like stepped in and, and doubled it on some random occasion. Sure. Uh, so but what's your, I guess more so though, his, his point wasn't necessarily, are you going to be able to shoot? Cause I, you know, we took Zane and I went out in Utah and we're shooting, you know, two, 300 meters with my, my 12 and a half. I mean, no problem. Right. Yeah. But ballistically. Yeah. I, and I think that's maybe something that needs to be talked about more than just like, Hey, my rail is really cool. It's like, you know, coming from the snipers, I know ballistically you know, what happens when you're, when we're talking about terminals, right. And we're talking about the wound cavity that this, this round is actually going to make. Yeah. Is it going to be effective or is it just going to be hitting somebody and, and like pissing them off? I mean, maybe it's, and you're right. I mean, there's factors there with like police. Uh, what, it, what is it really? What, how far can they positively identify a target well, that's where they can actually engage them? So that's all valid points. And there are some, there are some really badass loads out today. Um, that just so far exceed um, a whole lot of stuff. I mean, so the military kind of really started going down that path with sauce T. Uh, then you went to 70 grain optimize. And now they've got some stuff that I don't even know what it's called. I just know it exists because I heard it's from somebody somewhere, you know, doing a thing somewhere. Maybe, I don't know. They're always doing something. But um, I mean, so, but then, then you've got the, on the law enforcement side, there's some pretty awesome um, rounds specifically developed for those purposes. Uh, a lot of them are bonded, but very similar, or, or you got something similar to sauce tea. Um, but it's, it, again, it goes back to like, what are you doing with it? Cause you know, you've got your terminals, but you've also got your intermediates. So what are you shooting at? And are you shooting through something auto glass walls? You know, what's, what's your environment? Um, you know, can you hit something? Yeah, absolutely. A short gun can go five, six, 700 meters accurately, you know, even, you know, even further than that, depending on your, I mean, we've taken an eight-inch blackout to a thousand yards once, just because we could, you know. <laughs> so, well, so, so, do we think? Do we think blackouts are the future? Not. I mean, what do you guys think? Oh no! I mean, it's it's here to know, stay, but it's it's, it's not the future. Um, I don't have any issues with it, but it's not my lord and savior. Um, I think that the, you know, there's a lot of really good cartridges you can fit into an AR-15 size platform. Um, the blackout. 
you know, it's, it's niche should be uh, supersonic, you know, 110, 120 grainers uh, that'll hit harder than 5.56 ever will. Um, and then we plot mags and, and go run stuff real quiet and, uh, you know, up close. Uh, the other, the other thing with the blackout is, is, you know, there's only like one company or two companies that are loading uh, subsonic ammunition with bullets that are actually designed to work at subsonic velocities. Everybody else is sticking a 220 match in it or a 208A max. And you just, you know, these guys down here in Texas, they're like, oh, I'm going to get a blackout and sneak up on some pigs and kill them all. Now, nah, man, they, they shoot that first pig with that 208A max. It pokes a little hole in it and they all start squealing and they run off. You know, so the terminal ballistics of, of a subsonic blackout suck, especially if it's not coupled with a, a custom bullet like a lay high or a outlaw state subsonic or something like that. Uh, anyways, I digress. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, uh, you know, the, the 300 blackout is in the future, but I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call it the future, uh, but it's definitely a really good round. If it was more common, uh, you know, and maybe as it gets there, uh, more people will start, you know, uh, carrying it and, the consideration of ammo compatibility in a worst case scenario won't be such a such an issue. See, there's always more to the story. Yeah, it, it's getting there, but it's it's not quite there yet. It's 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 doing better than the six eight, I think, but it's not quite not quite there yet. Oh, six eight, and I love the six eight. I, I own an ACR, so I'm still waiting for Bushmaster to deliver that 300 blackout barrel they promised about I'm still, ten years I'm ago. Still black. About that, please don't say that word. <laughs> I talked to it a couple of weeks. Kind of said the same thing. Is there ever going to be an ACR? Like, is there any aftermarket companies doing stuff for that? There are. Like, there's some people doing a few aftermarket well, stuff, but it's or two. most like custom smiths it's doing really stuff. Only, it's only for people who are really devoted to the platform. Everyone else has just given up on it. Bushmaster, bro. Like, it's an. What, what, what's an ACR? <laughs> So it, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everybody knows it's a rifle that nobody cares about. It, it was this. It was going to be like it was going to be the king of all things. Uh, I, I saw it on Future Did I? go with Chris Costa with glasses, and I'm like, oh my god, the ACR. It's going to change the world. You're talking about the war. I'm confused here. No, the uh, the ACR. Uh oh. Oh. I, I just heard I just heard some shit on it. That's all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and with that, I think we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you, everyone, for jumping in. I had blast before we wrap up. Uh, everyone, give your social media plugs a shout out. Uh, go check out at Lone Star Armory on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Also, um, we'll have a live website here in about a week, so then we can actually sell you stuff if you don't live, you know, yes. up the street. So you go in there. Uh, Spirit of Systems, spiritofsystems.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're, I think we're on Twitter, but who uses Twitter? Um, <laughs> listen, though, LSA is uh, our, you know, our newest distributor, and they are about to get a massive drop of stuff. So stay awesome. tuned for that. Um, if you've been searching for something, they're probably – they will officially hold more stock than Spirit of Systems will hold. So, yeah, we're excited about that. Uh, and yep. you, Chris? Yeah, uh, just uh, at Because Operator. Uh, you can find it on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, just gun NVG media, stuff like that. Cool guy shit. Lots of NVG porn. Oh, 
appreciate you having us. Dude, thanks for coming, man. I, I'll be honest, man, I've never even listened to a podcast before, so this is all new to me, man. It, it gets me out of the shop, and, uh, you know, if I get to take a break from building guns, so. Oh, thanks for answering our questions. I, my pleasure. Thank you.